0: Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC.
1: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, We don't just talk about specialization. We live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal.
2: And I'm Tracy Alloway.
0: Tracy, you know what story has made this summer really fun?
2: Uh, (laughs) I do, actually. It has to be Tesla, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So the last few weeks have just been this incredible saga of Tesla, starting with early August when its CEO, Elon Musk, said he was going to take the firm private at a price of $420 a share. And then he said in the same tweet that he had funding secured. And ever since then, There's just been this mad scramble on the part of everyone to figure out what that tweet meant, whether it was legal, what the story behind it was and everything. And I just found it to be incredibly fun and amusing, the whole thing.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, we thought that people dissected Donald Trump's tweets quite a bit, uh, but the way they've been uh, examining Elon Musk's tweets is definitely even more intense than that. And I got to say, when he first tweeted it, I don't know about you, but I was really scratching my head at the 420 reference. Uh, a lot of people thought that could potentially be a joke because 420 is, well, code for marijuana, right?
0: Yeah, I have to say I was on vacation during uh, during the week when it happened. But of course, even when I'm on vacation, I'm like still checking Twitter every 10 minutes. And (laughs) as soon as I saw that tweet, I was like, there is just no way this is real. Like, I didn't for a second (laughs) actually believe this could possibly be a real thing. And of course, uh, Tesla hasn't gone private at $420 a share. But of course, uh, this raises all kinds of questions about the legality of just tweeting something like that and what funding secured means and what CEOs can tweet. And, you know, Elon's already unusual. And I think our guest today to help us understand this is probably the very best person to talk about it, because as soon as this happened, the entire Internet was like, we have to hear from this columnist his take because it's definitely going to be the best take.
2: Yeah, um, I would broadly agree with that. And, uh, you know, talking about U.S. disclosure rules is always fun, but this particular person makes it even more so.
0: And on that note, I would like to bring in this week's guest, Matt Levine. He's an opinion columnist here at Bloomberg. And like I said, honestly, I think within a few minutes, everybody was like, we got to get Matt Levine's take on this. And then over the next several weeks, all of Matt's columns on Tesla became must reads. So here to sort of help us what help us understand everything that happened is Matt. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Matt, where were you when you saw the tweet? <laughs>
3: I forget where I was exactly, but my column, I've been not writing my column regularly for the last couple of weeks, and I was planning to not do it. And then uh, Elon came along, and I've been writing mostly about him for a couple of weeks.
2: So when you saw the first tweet, the infamous funding secured $420 a share tweet, what did you think about it?
3: I, I didn't think it was a joke per se. But my first reaction was kind of, he's gone a little farther than he thinks he has here. You know, I've written about a lot of people who have, uh, you know, launching fake takeover offers is a thing that happens. And the SEC and the regulators and prosecutors take that seriously. And people have recently gone to prison for launching fake tender offers. So I think that Elon Musk has this fondness for sort of making bold claims that he can't necessarily always back up on Twitter. And I think he was kind of going along with that without uh, without really kind of considering that this is a bit of a more serious area. The gravity of what yeah, he had just said. you know, if he's like, oh, I'm going to make a car that flies, everyone would be like, ah, Elon, right? But if he's like, I'm going to take, take the company private at 420, it's a little more serious.
0: It just occurred to me that um, we should back up a second because, like I said, this sort of intersection of finance and law is kind of your specialty, which is why so many people want to get your take. You are... Uh, a lawyer by training, right?
3: Uh, I was an M and A lawyer briefly. Um, nothing I say is ever legal advice. <laughs> um, and then I was an investment banker, and uh, now I've been a columnist. So I've I, I worked at two of the firms that are that were advising Musk on his going private transaction. So I have some some exposure to this world.
2: Okay. Uh, well, you were a lawyer, so legal technicalities. What exactly are the sort of disclosure requirements? And did Musk potentially get in trouble because he said something on Twitter, or is it because he said something on Twitter that isn't true?
3: Uh, much more the latter. You know, people think that there, that there are like these real sort of formality rules around you have to, you know, you can't announce a going private transaction without, you know, filing a proxy and everything. That's not true at all. Like, this is how it normally happens Is is, you know, the CEO of a company will go to the board and will say... I would like to take the company private. He'll say that before filing a proxy statement. It won't be all done. It'll be a sort of the opening of a conversation. That usually doesn't happen publicly, but it's not like out of the question that it might at some point become public. And the CEO might say, I'm looking into, I'm exploring a transaction. They don't normally do it on Twitter, not because like Twitter is illegal. And in fact, the SEC has said, you know, if you you sort of follow a few formalities and you make it clear you're gonna do this, you can announce material events on Twitter. The problem, you know, first of all, is that it turned out not to be true. But, but, but even beyond that, the problem with doing this on Twitter, if you're Elon Musk, is that no one seems to have vetted it. He didn't run it by the board or any lawyers. And so the stuff he said was kind of careless. You know, normally, whether you put it out in a tweet or a blog post or an 8K or a press release or whatever, you would say, I'm thinking about taking the company public. Nothing is assured you know, things might still go wrong. All these, all these, like sort of lawyery language that at least kind of gives you cover if it doesn't work out. With Elon <laughs> Musk, it was kind of the opposite. He, he said, "I'm considering," it, right? So he didn't actually say, "I'm definitely going to do it." And then, like two tweets later, he's like, "This is only contingent on a shareholder vote. It's definitely not." Like everything became just sort of more confident um, because that's kind of the, the the way he uses Twitter, which is not the way you want to announce a potential but not button down transaction.
0: Something about the way he used Twitter. I had this thought, which is that within maybe a day or two after the funding secured tweet, it was kind of obvious that funding was not secured. Sure, even arguably within hours. But yeah.
3: then, but whatever. But there then, were like a couple of days of like fun speculation about who yeah. it might be. But yeah.
0: But then I noticed like a couple of weeks later that some of these like analysts who cover this stuff and they're like, it appears that funding is not secured and we're downgrading, and I downgrading the stock. And I wonder, you know, you're on Twitter and you also had uh, your background in the investment banking world, whether those of us who are sort of versant in Twitter sort of saw it's like, oh, this is sort of, uh, you know, this is a guy tweeting. Whereas that if you're not sort of familiar with that world, the thought that you would ever flippantly say funding secured is
3: almost un- unimaginable. Yeah, it's a weird intersection. I mean, like, like to you know, as an M and as a former M and like the fact that you would do that is still unimaginable. Right. Even though you know, I joke around on Twitter all the time. Like, like it's 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 you're not. It's a it's a mixing of the worlds that just didn't really work.
2: Right, and I doubt SEC rules have been uh, updated to take into account trolling or saying outrageous things in order to provoke a reaction.
3: Yeah, I mean. He's done, he's made jokes on Twitter. He's joked about Tesla going bankrupt. He's, he joked about introducing a, a, a new model, like a watch. I think he joked about a Tesla watch. And I think at one point, I think the stock moved on the Tesla watch tweet. And I think the SEC was like, Ugh. You know, like <laughs> they just sort of didn't really, uh, there's some awareness that like things can be a joke. And like the Tesla watch, it was like an April Fool's joke. It was just very clear. It was a joke. And if you bought stock on that, like it's your problem. So I think the SEC has has just they're not going to pick that fight, but this is a, this is not a joke, you know. And this like did move the stock a lot, and this is a little more serious.
0: Something we know about Elon is he really doesn't like short sellers, and one of the things people were talking about is whether he tweeted this in on purpose to sort of burn the short sellers. And I'm curious if there is a distinction between Elon driving to the airport. And thinking, oh, you know, I think my conversations with the Saudis or wherever, more or less mean I have the funding secured. I'm just going to tweet that versus I'm going to tweet this to really mess with the short sellers and whether I get whether intent matters here.
3: Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's, it's a little weird. I, I think if a company puts out misleading information about something material to the company, that's bad. The company is going to get in trouble for that. But. Elon, when he was doing this, was not acting as the company. He was acting as a potential buyer for the company. So he wasn't doing it in his yeah. capacity as CEO. And if your person puts out, you know, if I just like say random lies about Tesla, that's probably not securities fraud, not legal advice, but it's probably fine. The reason people get in trouble for doing this stuff is that they have some manipul they want to manipulate the stock. They want to, um, they have some manipulative purpose. And usually what that means when like just random people, uh, put out fake takeover offers, usually what it means is they bought some stock, they put out the fake takeover offer, the stock goes up and they sell their stock. It's like a very simple like fraud, like a scam. Uh, with Elon, it seems very unlikely he was selling, right? right? No indication he was selling. So it's not that. So that's not the thing he's going to get in trouble for. And so the question is, did he have some other manipulative intent? And I think the obvious one that people are looking at is he's gone... On and on about burning the short sellers, he said, you know, in a few weeks, they're going to face the, you know, they're going to have a terrible, they're going to get burned, basically. And, uh, you know, having made it so clear that he wants to burn the shorts, that he wants to squeeze the shorts, it suggests that one possible explanation here is that that's what he was doing.
2: There's another facet about, you know, whether or not he intended to commit some sort of stock manipulation, which is um, this notion that maybe he was on either drugs or, you know, sleeping pills or Valium or something like that at the time when he tweeted. If if his emotional state was, um, I don't know, uh, let's say, like, <laughs> I don't know, if his emotional state was fragile at the time, would that help him in the eyes of the SEC? Would he get a little bit of leeway because of that?
3: I'm not sure there's any precedent for, like, saying I committed securities fraud because I was on drugs. I mean, there is, right? I mean, there are, <laughs> there are there are insider traders who, you know, were addicted to things, and they they sort of say that at their sentencing, and it gets them a little leniency, maybe. Here, I mean, like if it were a joke, if it were, like, a drug trip, then he would have backed away from it, right? I mean, the fact that he spent two weeks, you know, putting out, blog posts the next day and the next week saying, this is why I said funding was secured. it suggests that he was a little more serious than that. Uh, and that he wasn't just, you know, he's not, he didn't back away from him immediately.
0: One of the columns you wrote, and this goes back to your experience as a lawyer, was essentially like, okay, the tweet is out there. Now, how can a law firm and Elon sort of back in to making the tweet true yeah like so obviously but that's I mean clearly like, like, like
3: they scrambled to right. be like can we yeah. like make an excuse for this so that it looks kind of real right
0: because yeah. lawyers are going to take on any task and they'll try it so what was in your view the most plausible approach to sort of make make it you know if you were if you were Elon's lawyer what what would be the most plausible structure to back up the tweet
3: so they basically did it, which is they raised money from people who wanted to invest. I mean, they, they raised commitments, right? I mean, they they went out and canvassed, you know, one reason that you might want to go public with this, with this notion before having it all locked down is that way everyone knows about it. And if there is someone sitting around being like, I'd love to put $10 billion into Tesla, then they'll call you up. And that kind of seems to have happened, you know, when he announced on Friday that he's calling the deal off, he said, you know, we got a lot of inbound interest. So they did find people who were willing to explore putting money into it. The journal reported that they raised about $30 billion, which is not enough to take Tesla private. But, you it's know, not nothing. it's not nothing. It's a lot of money. And, you know, and it combines with the notion all along was that a lot of the public shareholders would roll into the new private Tesla. That's not it's not clear they were ever interested in that. Um, you know, some some were, but had, you know, some of the big public mutual funds like Tesla, but have regulatory restrictions or have charter restrictions on how much private stock they can own. So, you know, like what they seem to have cobbled together is $30 billion of money and then some number of shareholders who would roll. You can sort of like look at it and it kind of looks like you could almost get to a going private transaction. And that's kind of what they presented to the board and then Elon said, "Never mind." So there is a real, um, so I mean like the structure that you do is that, is is offering is some combination of new cash from new investors plus rolling over big current investors in, in tesla and you try to get those two numbers to add to about 70 billion dollars which, which is the you know 420 times the number of shares so like the other fun problem that uh that i'm sure that musk's advisors are working on is that when he initially announced this one thing he said was that every shareholder was going to get an opportunity to roll over into the new private tesla which is one of the weirdest things about it the idea that you can take all of your public shareholders all these like mom and pop shareholders who have 10 shares and roll them into a private company is not normally how you think of private companies. So I'm sure that people were trying to find some way to make that true. And I know I read a lot of articles analyzing, well, you could do stub equity, you could do this or that. It never seemed all that realistic to me. And uh, in his latest announcement, Musk conceded that there is not really a practical path to do it.
2: So in terms of damage control, I mean, you, you briefly mentioned this just that then but um the 420 number like how much more complicated would that have made attempts to contain the damage and also the 420 number where do you think he got that from do you think it was based on reality or is it something he just sort of like pulled out of the air
3: i'll defend that the 420 number is like a 20 percent premium i think i think the that what he said is that he wanted to offer a 20 percent premium to the trading prices around around 350 and so he Did that math, like multiplying by 1.2, and he got like $419. And he decided that 420 sounded like a nicer, rounder number. And everyone kind of scoffed at this explanation, but it's totally reasonable. That's how every going private deal is done. Like there's no, you know, there's no, he's not doing a discounted cash flow analysis. There's no cash (laughs) flow. It's, it's a, it's the way that you, do a going private transaction is you offer like a sort of reasonable premium to the current trading price, and then you go to the board and you see what the board says, and you negotiate from there. So I think like offering a round number that's twenty percent up from the tr- from the trading price, it's fine.
0: The uh, the discounted cash flow analysis that w- that's typically like backed into right. They come up with a number, and then someone's job is to sort of put together a spreadsheet that explains it.
3: At some point, if you were really going to buy the company, he would have to come up with. a a sense of how many dollars the company was worth and the board would have to come up with a sense of how many dollars the company is worth and they'd have to be not too far apart so that they could negotiate a price. Uh, One way to do that traditionally is a discounted cash flow analysis where you discount the present value of the future cash flows of the company. I think it's very hard to predict that and I think there's a kind of wide bid ask on what that number is.
0: Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. What do you think about uh, CEOs who are obsessed with shorts? Because most CEOs don't seem to care that much, but every once in a while, there's a CEO comes along that really gets worked up about them.
3: There, there's this belief that the shorts can do something to you that I think is mostly wrong. Sometimes it's right. So, like, companies that need a lot of finance, particularly, a lot, like, you know, in the financial crisis, banks were really worried about shorts because if they couldn't roll their financing every day, they couldn't stay in business. Um, you know, when Herbalife was in a fight with Bill Ackman, when Bill Ackman was really trying to get regulators to shut them down, like, they had a real belief that Bill Ackman was doing things to them. Most of the time though, shorts just short the stock and they think the company is bad or the, or the stock is overvalued. And their like tools to do something bad to the company are fairly limited. Um, Tesla, you know, Musk talks a lot about how the shorts are pushing a narrative that will destroy Tesla. And it's very hard for me to understand what that could mean. Tesla sells cars and like, I don't think short sellers are going to like, Potential car buyers and trying to talk them out of buying Teslas. I mean, they are a little bit. They're putting out, you know, David. You know, they they will put out little um, uh, claims that the cars are badly made. But like, uh, there's not a lot they can do. And I think the focus on short sellers is more of a like psychological like aversion to having anyone criticize you than like a real like rational analysis of what the company needs. I think most public company CEOs recognize that the company needs their attention on the business rather than their like ego-driven tweeting about how evil short sellers are.
2: Isn't Tesla burning through cash quite rapidly though? Like i.e. don't they need pretty decent access to financing in order to basically stay in existence for a time to come? And wouldn't that be a vulnerability that the shorts could target by sort of interrupting that flow of financing?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, like they they do. I mean, like like you know, the fact is that like the marginal buyer of Tesla stock can buy it from a short seller rather than from Tesla. Um, that narrative is complicated by the fact that you know Musk is not fond of saying that they need financing, right? And that and uh, if you're a company that needs billions of dollars of financing from the equity markets, it's weird to say, you know, what we're going to buy all of our stock back. We don't need any public shareholders. We're going to buy it back. Like it, it's like. I tend to agree with you that Tesla does require access to the public markets and that short sellers, not by like pushing a narrative or anything, but just by the fact that they are like a supply of shares, short sellers tend to um, reduce their access to cheap financing. Not that much, right? I mean, it's still a seventy $60 billion company, right? It's you know, they still have plenty of access to public markets. Short sellers do at the margin reduce that, but like that's not the narrative that Tesla says.
0: Yeah, this, this whole story has sort of come amid a very weird time where there's this other big thing people are talking about, and that is the supposed short-sightedness of public markets yeah. and whether – investors demand companies hit a number every quarter. And Tesla seems like a company that more than anything hasn't been forced to adhere by the demands of the market because they never get punished for failing to hit some number. And there doesn't seem to be any particular expectation that if they don't nail uh, an EPS Figure that Wall Street has put out there that they're going to lose their access to the market.
3: It's never an EPS figure because they don't make money. Now, there are, like, they, they do sort of announce short term production targets. And then when they fail to meet them, people say, ah, you failed to meet them. And I think that there is, like, a psychological thing where, like, I think Musk feels like he is subject to the short term pressures of the stock market. But objectively, there's this enormous valuation on a company that doesn't make money. And that valuation is driven purely by a belief that in the long term, it's going to be. An enormous success, as you said, it's like it's exactly the sort of counter narrative to this idea that public markets are so short-sighted. Public markets are funding very cheaply, you know, at, at very high valuations. This total long-shot, long-term company, and nonetheless, Musk is like, ah, public markets are short, so short-term. We have to get out of here. Uh,
2: sorry, just to take a step back. Then, do we have any indication? or do we have a guess um, even about why Elon Musk would have found going private desirable, especially if he's talking about going private in a way that still brings along the existing public shareholders?
3: Yeah. I I mean, I don't think he had a fully baked sense of like exactly what it would mean, but I think that basically I don't think he wanted to go private. I think he wanted to be private. I think he looked at like the comp being like Uber where you don't, announce quarterly results and have to do a conference call and get questions about how you miss production targets. You don't have short sellers. Like those are the two big things. Like you're like, and and your stock doesn't move around day to day and you don't like sort of have whatever demoralizing or moralizing effect that has on your staff when the stock goes down. So I think he looks at like big private companies and thinks those companies are fine. They have the sort of like public uh, face and the um, ability to access capital that like Public companies have always had, and they don't have the share price moves and the quarterly earnings reports and the short sellers. And he thought that would be more attractive. That's not a reason to like do a going private transaction and go out to Saudi Arabia and raise money to like buy out your shareholders. But if you could flip a switch and go from being a public company to a private company, I think you would have liked to do that.
2: That reminds me, actually. So uh, there were a couple reports uh, recently that the Saudis weren't very impressed by Elon Musk uh, basically talking about conversations that they'd had. Does Elon have any sort of um, obligations to the Saudis when it comes to like what he was able to reveal and not reveal?
3: Not that I know of. I mean, I think that normally when things like this happen, you know, you sign agreements and those agreements... Might include a confidentiality agreement, but they more importantly, they just include some sort of like coordination on how you'd approach the company and how you'd approach publicity and you'd agree on how you'd announce the deal and all these things. That didn't that doesn't seem to have happened here. Maybe he violated a confidentiality agreement, but I doubt it. I think what more likely is he just had casual, relatively casual conversations with them that didn't lead to any sort of formal agreement and uh, they feel burned by his (laughs) representing it as a formal agreement.
0: Let's talk about what's next. So obviously, Elon announced late on a Friday. I think it was 11 p.m. Like, actually, it's over. We're not going to go private back to business as usual. But the whole affair has a perhaps damaged Elon's reputation among some in Wall Street, though. I don't know how much that'll actually matter, but more importantly, uh, there's now an investigation, and we've and others have reported that the SEC has sent subpoenas to Tesla. So, in your view, what are some of the ways that this could go?
3: I think, from like the company's perspective, I think they're on board with Elon, right? Like the board is right. is like sort of his buddies, and like frankly, the company sort of makes the most sense with this like visionary weird leader, right? So, I think it's very important for them. And and I have to say, it looks like this has happened. It's very important for them to be like, stop doing this, right? Like, pay more attention to like following the rules and not misleading shareholders and not like creating enormous painful distractions for the company that that reverberate for months just because like you like were in a car on the way to the airport and you had a whim. So I think, from the company's perspective, like they're not going to fire him, you know, but like they 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 really should read him the riot act and tell him to stop doing this. And it seems like that's happened now. From the SEC's perspective, I really don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's like an open and shut case that he like, uh, like committed the crime or the or the you know the violation of of manipulating the stock because, I do think that in his mind he was sort of just sort of giving a window into his thought process and maybe also trying to burn the shorts. So I think they have a bit of a tough case. If I were the SEC, I would really, really, really want to bring an enforcement action here because it looks really bad for a big, famous public company CEO to announce a big material transaction when it's not true. Um, But I also, like, it's not such a sort of, like, uh, it doesn't have so much bad intent that I'd want to, like, ban him from being the CEO. I'd, like, want to get some money, yell at him, and move on.
0: You mentioned in one of your columns, and everyone found it really amusing, this idea that, like, if you were an SEC staffer you would really want to be on this case. Like, this would be, like, one of the juiciest cases of your career. Like, well, it would be so what fun. I said so what was that said? it would
3: be hilarious to be the person who called Tesla to be like, so, where is that funding? Because everyone else was like, where is this funding? Is this real? Is this possible? And the SEC could just call up and be like, so, really? I think that, like, the initial stages of this investigation would be just hilarious because, like, this, like, very sort of rickety, fake-seeming transaction, like, you could go and be like, is this real or not? And, like, they have every, like, they have to tell you because you're the regulator and, and you have a, you know, prima facie case that something bad has gone on here. I think at this point, I'm less envious of those people because at this point, they kind of, like, we feel, it feels like we know all the facts. Right. Like, they probably know all the facts. And they have to decide what to do with it. And it's not like there's an open and shut, like, either walk away or, like, throw the book at them. Like there's the facts, some... So
0: it's the facts are clear, but what you do with them is less clear.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, like the idea that like, you can't just let him get away with it because like, it just doesn't, it's just the stock moved a lot on information that seemed not to be true. But at the same time, you can't be like, he can never be a public company director anymore because like he's doing a good job for shareholders in many respects.
2: Yeah, it feels like you'd have to sort of get inside Musk's mind a, a little bit as well. And I wonder... um I wonder what those conversations would be like.
3: Yeah, I don't really think you do that. I think you do to bring a, a like a case in court, and I don't think that's what anyone wants. I think what you have to do is there's like probably some broad middle ground where it's like they pay a fine. He promises not to do it again. The SEC yells at him a lot, and everyone kind of moves on with their lives. You don't really need to talk about exactly what his intent was. You need to be like, this wasn't true, so let's announce that let's keep public market you know do something for the integrity of public markets by going after musk in some way for for tweeting this stuff
0: well on that note matt uh that gives us something to look forward to down the line and it was great to talk to you appreciate you coming
3: thanks for having me
2: Uh, Joe, I really like that conversation. I always love having uh, Matt on, but I think you were right. He's sort of the perfect person to talk about this.
0: Yeah. And that last point, which is sort of this idea that everybody now kind of knows the facts like that was really fun in the immediate days after the tweet, because it did not seem very ambiguous. It seemed like either he had funding secured or he didn't have funding secured. And while all of us on uh, Twitter were sort of is this real it always seemed like pretty straightforward for the sec to just ask the question and find out now what you do with that information though it'll be interesting but maybe not quite as uh, maybe not quite as juicy
2: Yeah, I also wonder still about the long-term reputational damage to Tesla and to Elon Musk in particular. Like, if you think that this is a guy who basically made his reputation and his career by coming up with sort of of out-of-this-world ideas and then figuring out how to do them, it kind of feels like in this instance he came up with a sort of crazy financial idea but had no actual discernible way of knowing how to follow through with it. So maybe you can be a visionary when it comes to electric cars and not financial markets, or maybe people think you should be a visionary in all things. I don't know.
0: I do wonder whether this really will have any long-term ramifications on Tesla's ability to borrow money or tap the capital markets. People say that it will, and like you see analysts talking about how this sort of reduces his credibility, but you have to wonder... Uh, whether it actually will matter. Also, outside of financial markets, there's also the whole issue of Tesla suppliers and whether they supply parts in exchange for payments down the down the road. So there are some areas where he does need to maintain trust. But you know, I don't I don't know which way it'll go. I could certainly see this all uh, blowing over.
2: Yeah. And there is a sort of ultimate irony in here that a company that seems to hate public markets so much has actually kind of gotten away with um, ignoring certain norms of public markets for so long.
0: And the irony that ostensibly one reason to go private is to avoid distraction. And this is probably about (laughs) as big of a distraction as they come.
2: Right. Okay. This has been the ultimate uh, tale of Tesla irony then. Um, Shall we leave it there? Let's do it. All right. This has been another episode of the Odd Thoughts podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Jill Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. And you should follow our guest, Matt Levine, on Twitter at Matt underscore Levine. And you should follow our producer, Topher Forges, at Forges as well as the Bloomberg Head of Podcast, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. Thanks for listening.